This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being present and being very real. Thank you that we don't have to wonder about your goodness, wonder about your love, but that it's revealed in the cross. I thank you that as we invite you to come, Lord, that is um, both an invitation and an expectation, that as we gather together, you will come and that you will move. And so we ask, Lord, right now that you would open us up, that you would open us up to the words that you have for us, that you would be revealing yourself to us, that you would show us what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray for my friends who are here today who this may be their first time and they're just wondering about this whole thing. Lord, would you help them to be at ease in this place, knowing that we are all travelers on this journey towards you. For my friends who have opened up their programs and seen the length of the teaching notes and are having an internal freak out right now, Lord, would you just uh, calm them down too. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. And if you haven't freaked out, you will. Go ahead, open up your programs, grab your Start the card that says start here. Put your name and email address on it. I will tell you what to do with that later. I'm giving away free stuff to people who turn in their cards, so you're definitely going to want to fill that out because I'm going to give you some stuff, and who doesn't want free stuff? Uh, these are your teaching notes. You definitely want these today. Even if normally you're just, I like to listen, I'm an, I'm an audio learner, you're going to want to write stuff down today because I'm going to take you through something a little different than I normally do. So go ahead and grab those notes, uh, and they'll give you the Bible verses we're looking at today and help you connect. And if you are brand new with us today, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, giving of your time to, uh, to explore the realities of faith, to explore what God might have for you. My prayer for you this morning and this week, uh, especially if you're new and you're new to this journey, has been that uh, you would both be at ease today, but even more than that, that you would encounter the living God, that you would experience something new, because we have a, a core belief here that there is a God and that He loves you and that He gave His life for you and that He wants a relationship with you. And so that's what we're going to be kind of guiding you towards throughout this day. So I'm excited that you came to be here with us. If you're a guest, when you leave today, by the way, there's a gift for you. It's our guest gift. It's in the lobby. It's a bag that says guest gift, and we just want you to have that. It's just our way of saying thanks. Thanks for taking your time, and thanks for joining us. Uh, We are in week three of a series that we're calling Hunger Games, and I want to catch you up to speed if you've missed a few weeks because you were on vacation or maybe you're just starting out. Uh, Hunger Games came from a promise that Jesus made in Matthew uh, chapter I believe it was six, five or six, and I, have, I think I have the wrong thing on my notes. I think it might be five or six, uh, and it says this. Basically, Jesus looks at his followers, and he says to them, blessed are you, or you will be blessed, and that word blessed means supremely happy. Not so much like I'm happy I won the lottery, or I'm happy I, I hit a home run in the softball game, but an overarching happiness, a happiness that goes beyond circumstances, you might call it a deep joy. So blessed are you, happy are you, beyond your circumstances, joyful are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that word righteousness basically means to be right with God, to live right with God, to to say, I want God what you want more than I want what I want. He says, if you have a hunger for that, something inside of you that is driving you towards that, you will have a supreme happiness, a deep joy, and he says, you will be satisfied in this life. 
which is good because we all know that our, our, sat- our, our, our hunger for things oftentimes is, is not fully and finally satisfied. That's why uh, you had hamburgers on Wednesday and hamburgers on Thursday and hamburgers on Friday and Saturday because it's 4th of July weekend. And now today you're going to come back tonight to our night service and have more hamburgers because your appetite for hamburgers is never fully and finally satisfied. And I, I get that. So by the way, we're having a barbecue after church tonight. That's our plug. You should come. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. He says, but there is something that you will be satisfied in. If you search for God, if something in your core wants to be right with God, you will be satisfied. But we zoomed way back because we all realized this, that we cannot will ourselves or make ourselves be right before God all the time. We cannot just be righteous by wanting to be righteous. We can do good things from time to time, but we cannot ultimately be right before God and, and live the way that God created us to live by just wanting to do it. That's why you have had nights where you've laid in bed and you've thought to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to go there with her, be there with him. Uh, that's why you've put your kids in timeout before and you went to your bedroom and you buried your head in your hands. You said, I'm never going to scream at them again. I just lost it. And then what happens? Like a minute later, you're screaming at them, Right. Um, a, a week later, you're doing that thing you swore you'd never do. You're saying that thing you said you'd never say again. You're having that conversation around the water cooler that you promised you would not get into that thing again. Why? Because we cannot will ourselves to be righteous. So we said we have to actually accept the invitation from Jesus to start the process of becoming righteous. And here's the invitation. Jesus says this, that we are born with a a, a nature and an internal drive, an internal compulsion towards what the Bible calls sin. And sin are those, those, those things that you say or do or think that are hurting you, hurting those you love, that are separating us from God. And that's why you swear to yourself, I'll never do that again, and then you do it. God says it's because sin is dominating you internally. But Jesus came and he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to give us a new nature, to switch our internal drive from something that's bent towards sin to be an internal drive that's bent towards God. So Pastor Ron told us on the first week of this series that if we really want to be righteous, the first thing is to accept the invitation from Jesus to transform our nature. And then I shared with us last week that we can't just become Christians, transform our nature, have a God nature put into us, and then just try to slap Christianity on top of our everyday living, because we've had a lifetime of doing and thinking and saying things a certain way. And if we slap Christianity on top of it, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to restore an old car and not sanding away the old paint, just slapping a new coat of paint on top. What happens is the paint just peels right off. And that's what happens with a lot of us who become Christians. We say, okay, God's given me a new nature. I'm just going to go do the right thing all the time. But we can't actually do the right thing all the time because there's a step before that. God wants us to change the way that we think. So the first step we decided was we need to get a new nature. The second step is we need to restore our minds. And we do that by by stripping away the things that we used to think and replacing them with the things that God thinks. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about what it looks like to strip away what we used to think and to put on what God thinks. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12. He said, I don't want you to conform to the patterns of this world. Remember, I got that cookie cutter out last week. He said, it's easy to be a conformer who's just stamped out to look like everybody else. He says, don't conform. Instead, be a transformer. Be transformed, not by doing the right things, but by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think. And then he gave us a great promise. If we do that, we'll actually know 
God's will and God's plan for our life. So what I want to do is I want to give us a tool in our tool belt to help us restore our minds so that we can be righteous, so that we can live the life that God designed and created for us to live. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. What I want to do today is I want to actually take you through a process of how I study the Bible. When I'm at home, when I put the kids down for a nap, I grab a cup of coffee, I sit on the sofa, I grab my iPad because my Bible's on my iPad. This is how I study the Bible. This is how I go through the process of renewing and transforming my mind. And I want to share it with you because I think it's incredibly important because the church, coming to church on Sunday, has a role in your life. And on church on Sunday, you're getting spoon-fed the Word of God. I spend my week, Pastor Ron spends his week, praying and studying and learning about God. And then we, we do as best we can to, to condense like 10 hours of study and prayer into a 30-minute message and try to give it to you, try to spoon-feed it to you. But the goal of Christianity and the process of becoming more like Jesus, of maturing, is not that you would, you would desire to be spoon-fed the Word of God all the time. There's a place for that. Church is a place for that. But that you would learn how to, how to feed yourselves how to get into God's Word, how to open up the Bible and really study it. And it's not difficult to do. It does mean that we have to turn our brains on, but it's not all that hard. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about where should we start, how should we do it, and how do I like to study the Bible. And again, this isn't the only way to read your Bible. This is just the way that I prefer to do it. There are, there are read through the Bible in a year reading plans. Those are really fun, but that's not studying your Bible. That gives you an overview. Um, there are read through the New Testament in a month or read through a book of the Bible a day. Those are great. They give you an overview of the Bible. I'm talking about, about digging in deep to the Bible. It's the difference between inhaling your food and actually enjoying your food. And I want us to enjoy our food when it comes to, to learning about God. So if you have your notes out, you're going to want to write down. There's just a lot of stuff. Um, how about this? Where should we start? Where should we start with studying the Bible? The answer in church, if you're new, is pretty much always the same. Jesus. Jesus is the right place to start. If, if someone ever says to you, hey, I have this question about God, this question about the Bible. If you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, okay? You'll get it right like 95% of the time. If you're brand new, if you're not a Christian yet, listen, everyone's going to think you're so smart if you just say Jesus, okay? So where are you going to study the Bible? I would say start with Jesus because the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about God. One day Jesus was with his, his 12 disciples, his best friends, and, and one of them looked at him and he said, we want to see God the Father. We want to see the Heavenly Father. We want to know him. And Jesus looks at him with a little bit of disgust. And this is what he says to him in John chapter 14. He says, to, this is Philip, this guy he's talking to. He says, Philip, don't you, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you such a long time. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen my father. Anyone who sees Jesus sees God. Do you want to know what God looks like? Do you want to know how God thinks? Do you want to know how God acts? Do you want to know how God loves? Do you want to know how God views you, views your family, views our community, views the world? Look at Jesus. The more we see Jesus, the more we see God. The more we know Jesus, the more we know God. If we stop short of Jesus in our journey towards true spirituality, we have stopped short of God. And if we add anything on to Jesus, we've added on to and gone beyond God. That's why, that's why you can't mix spiritualities. That's why you can't be a Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, monk, you know. You, you just, you can't do it. If we go beyond Jesus, we, 
we accidentally have gone beyond God. That's why when I see, when I see some of us, we've got our horoscopes up on, on Facebook. I know it's interesting, it's kind of fun, whatever. Um, you've gone beyond God because you've gone beyond Jesus. Jesus tells you the journey. Jesus tells us what our life looks like. And anytime we move beyond Jesus, we've gone beyond God. And anytime we stop short of Jesus, we've stopped short of God. So where do we start? I would say if you're brand new to it, start with Jesus because he will point you towards God. What does God look like? What does God think? How does God act? Jesus is always a good answer. So here's how I study the Bible, and I'm just going to take you through it. The reason why there are a ton of notes is I basically just did a Bible study, and then I put it on the notes for you. I did my own personal devotional time. I copied and pasted, and I gave it to you. Here's how I would start in my personal time with God. Every day when I open up uh, the Bible, when I get that time by myself, I pray. I just stop for a second, and I pray. I thank God for the day. I thank him that I'm not working uh, a 19 or a 20-hour shift where I don't have any space. I thank him for the time to be able to actually sit in his presence. I ask God to reveal himself to me through his word. I ask God's spirit to be transforming and renewing my mind. One of the things that I like to do is I ask God, is there an area of sin in my life that, that either I don't know of or I do know about that I'm just engaging in? Because over and over again in the Bible, we see that if we, if we are engaging in a sin that we know about, it actually blocks us from hearing from God. And so I ask him, and I just sit, and I let God speak to me. I let God guide me. Uh, when he speaks, what I mean is he might bring up something. He might bring up a situation, something you did, a thought process you've been thinking, and that, that could be God speaking to you about an area of sin. And if he brings something up, I, I ask him for his forgiveness, and I ask him to change my thought process so I can follow him. And then here's what I do, because like you, I'm, I'm busy. I ask God to center my mind on Jesus to really focus on him, because I've got kids who are doing their thing. I've got a spouse. I've got a job. I've got, I've got friends. I've got stuff to do, and I want to focus in on Jesus. So that's what I do when I pray. And then I do uh, a method of studying the Bible that's, that's called the inductive Bible study method, which doesn't mean a whole lot except that that's just the name of it. And basically, it's three steps, observation, interpretation, and application. And I'm going to talk through all three of those with you. Observation. Observation is uh, the most skipped over part of any Bible study. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous. For example, how many of us, and don't raise your hand because you're wrong, okay? So don't raise your hand. Um, how many of us think or have thought there were three wise men? Okay, you're not raising your hand. That's good. You're listening. Um, you know why you think that? Because you read the Bible, and it says that when Jesus was born, wise men came, and they brought three gifts to Jesus. It never says there are three wise men. We have skipped over observing, and we've gone straight to interpreting, which is the next step. Three gifts must mean three wise men. The problem is, in the story of Jesus' birth, they say that these wise men came into the city, and the whole city was in an uproar. Three guys don't usually cause an uproar. There's probably a whole group of wise men. They just happened to bring three gifts because they were chintzy, okay? It's like, hey, did you get the gift for Jesus? No, I thought you did. Oh, well, we got three. That's plenty. That's observation is hugely important. I spend the majority of my time simply in observation. What is God saying? What do I observe? What do I notice in the text itself? Here's how you know if you're observing. When you read something and you write it down, if I was to ask you, where do you see that in the Bible? You could say, well, that's in verse 8, or that's in verse 12, or that's in verse 15. That's an observation. And I go through and I observe everything I can about whatever I'm studying in the Bible, and then I move on to the next step, which is interpretation. What do my observations mean? 
based on what I know about the Bible, about God, what, is this, what does this mean? Is there, a, is there a timeless truth? Is there a principle? Is there a, a, a guiding rule or a law that God wants me to see 2,000 years later? How do I translate that? What does this mean both in the Bible itself and then how do we translate that 2,000 years later? Interpretation. So we observe, then we interpret, and then we apply. And this is hugely important. This actually probably is um, the least amount of work because at this point we've observed and we've interpreted so we know how to apply. But if we skip this step, we've skipped the portion that leads us to transformation. Because I always say this on Sundays, information, which is what comes in, plus application, which is what we do with it. When it's combined with God's spirit, it transforms us. So application could be that I'm going to start thinking something different that I'm going to start doing something different, that I need to go to someone and restore a relationship, that I need to look at the world or look at my family or look at my marriage differently. Observation, interpretation, application, and then I pray. I spend time thanking God for showing up. I ask him for strength. And then I ask him for the courage to show me what my next step is and how to actually do it. Because it's one thing to sit at home with a cup of coffee and, uh, and talk about what you're going to do next. It's a whole other thing to actually do something with it. So again, we're doing something a little different today. Normally when you come on a Sunday, I'm preaching a sermon. It's got a main point. We're going in one direction. I want to just take you through how I study the Bible. This is my Bible study method, and I want to do it through 11 verses in the New Testament of the Bible, starting with Jesus, because he's always a good place to start. And if I was doing this, by the way, I would read through one book of the Bible from beginning to end. Some people like to you know, play like where in the world is Carmen San Diego with their Bible, and they're flipping and they're pointing, and God told me to go there. Listen, It'd be like spinning a globe, pointing, and flying there. That might be where God wants you to go. You might end up in a place you don't want to be. Okay, it's the same thing with the Bible. People say, well, I just opened my Bible up, and God just shows me stuff. Maybe he does. That's great. But what happens when you open your Bible up, and you get to that story in the Old Testament where there's that really, really obese king sitting on the toilet, and someone stabs him with a sword? What do you do with that story? What's God trying to reveal to you there? Wait, wait, Seriously. It's dangerous. That's all I'm saying. It's a little dangerous to just point and shoot. Instead, start from the beginning of the book. Go all the way through. Get the context for it. Get the history of it. Understand it. So we're in Matthew. We're in chapter 4. This would have been my fourth or fifth day studying through Matthew when I got to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Just so you have some context for it, right before this, in the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, Jesus gets baptized by his cousin, a guy named John, and when he comes up out of the water, uh, the heavens open up, and God the Father, the voice of God, speaks down to him. He says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And then God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends upon Jesus in that moment. So God the Father is saying that he loves Jesus, that Jesus is his unique son. The Spirit comes upon him, and then we pick up Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And normally what I would do is I would read a verse, and then I would um, observe things, read another verse, observe things. I'm going to read through the whole thing for our sake, and then I'm going to do all the observation, all the interpretation, all the application. So it says this, if I can, because I usually tangent and start talking. So we'll see, we'll see. It says this, Jesus, after he came up out of the water from baptism, and God said that great thing to him, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, let's just just pause there. So I guess I can't do it. Let's just pause there. How many of you have wondered, is there really a devil? Is there really a devil? Well, just a careful observation of this one verse tells us that there's a devil. And listen, I don't believe in the devil because the Bible says so. 
it's, it's way better than that. I believe in the Bible because Jesus says so, because Jesus had interaction with him. And listen, anyone who can, who can um, predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm listening to that guy. Okay, so if you ask me, why do I believe in the devil? Not because the Bible says so, but because Jesus, who predicted that he would die and raise again and then pulled it off, says so. So that's just one observation. Is there a devil? Yes. Yes, there is. You can learn all about him if you want to from other places in the Bible, but that's just a, a quick observation. Okay, back to it. Jesus, led by the Spirit. See, this is why my devos take a long time. Okay, because I'm always like, wow, look at that. There's a devil. That's crazy. I don't want to know him. I want to know Jesus. Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Captain Obvious. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, what we just remember from Matthew chapter 3, God just said, you are my Son. And, and the tempter said to him, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, which lets you know that he's referencing something in a different part of the Bible. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse 6 says, if you are the son of God, he said, then throw yourself down off the temple, for it is written, he will, and that's God, God will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, are you seeing a trend here? It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And the devil said, all of this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came, and they attended to him. So what I would do next is I would write down on a separate piece of paper, on my iPad, I'd pull up a Word document, I'd put the, the scripture reference down, I'd put the date down, because I want to know. I'd write down my prayer for the day, and then I would write down the word observation, and just start making bullet points with verses next to it. And here's what I would observe from this scripture. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Now, we're going to interpret a whole bunch of stuff from that, and your tendency is going to be to want to interpret that right now. Don't do it. Just observe. What do you notice? Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness to be tested. Verse 1 tells us that. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Verse 1 tells us that. The devil is real. Like I said earlier, verse 1 tells us that. Two of the devil's temptations begin with this challenge. The devil says, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, then blank. I observed that Jesus' temptations fall into three general categories. Food, something to satisfy his physical hunger. In verse 3, we see that. Uh, jumping off the temple. Verse 6, we see that. Worldly power. Verses 8 and 9, we see that. And then we'll talk about what that looks like in a few minutes. Here's a, here's a, big, interpret, or a big observation that I noticed. You probably noticed this too. Jesus had Bible verses memorized. 
and he responded to every temptation by quoting a Bible verse. Verse 7, verse 4, and verse 10. And then did you catch this? Did you observe this? Did you notice this? The devil tried to twist a Bible verse to make his point. Woo, we can interpret that all day long. How many people come up and say, God told me, God told me to marry you. Like, where do you see that? I see it, see it in the first, I'm out of my mind. First, you know, hesitations. I don't know, it's crazy. It's crazy. What? Yeah, I got first hesitations when you tell me that. The devil tried to twist a Bible verse. So the devil had scripture memorized too. Huh. The devil eventually left Jesus, verse 11. And there's even more. We, we could, I, I tried to trim it down for the sake of time. We could get into this. There's all sorts of stuff to interpret and to observe. And by the way, you probably see things that I don't see because you're an intelligent group. But those are just some of the observations I had. What I would do next is I would write down in bold on my notes, I would write down interpretation, and then I would start to interpret what I'm reading. So I'd go up to point one, what did I observe and how do I interpret it? And here's an interpretation based on verse one. It is possible to be led by the Spirit of God and still face times of wandering around in the wilderness of life. And the second one's kind of like that. It's possible to be led by the Spirit of God, to be really led by God, and be tempted by the devil. And how many times have we thought to ourselves, I'm, I'm in this time of temptation, I'm in this time of trial, the, the devil seems to be tempting me, I must be far from God. If I could just get closer to God, then I wouldn't have this temptation. Jesus was as close to God as anyone could be because he was fully God and fully man. He had just had this pinnacle experience of baptism where God the Father said to him, you're my son, I love you. And then what's the Holy Spirit do? The Spirit of God leads him out to be tempted by the devil and allows him to have a time in the wilderness. If you're going through a time of temptation that you know is not from God right now, if you're going through a time in the wilderness of life right now, it might not be that God is far from you. It might be that God is very present with you and allowing you to go through a time of temptation. This would let me know that we live in a, a world that is both physical and spiritual. There are physical battles that we fight. There's physical hunger. There's physical war. But there's also spiritual battle in the unseen realm. With We, we saw the devil in this passage, and we see angels in this passage. There is God and there's the devil, and they are not an equal playing field. And there are angels and there are demons. And angels came and ministered to Jesus, and the devil came to tempt him. Another thing that I, that I observed, or that I interpreted, is that uh, Jesus, or God, did not tempt Jesus. God did not tempt Jesus, but he allowed Jesus to be tempted. And I think he did this, this is my interpretation, he did this so Jesus could come out on the other side more confident in God's plan and God's purposes. I know from other places in the Bible, and you'll know this too as you study the Bible, that God does not tempt us towards sin, but God allows us to be tempted and God tests us from time to time so that we can come out the other side more fully trusting in God and in his plan and in his purpose. And that seems to be, that seems to be, what God allowed Jesus to do here. Here's another interpretation. One of the ways that the devil tempts me, because I was studying this on my own, one of the ways the devil tempts me is by calling into question my identity as God's son and for you as God's daughter. Have you ever done something or thought something or said something and, and that, that thought just comes into your mind, oh, God couldn't really love me. I'm not really a, a child of God. All that stuff we sing about and talk about and the pastor preaches about, that's, that's just not real. 
That's a lie from the devil. The truth is that you and I have been adopted into God's family as his children, and you are his son, and you are his daughter, and he loves you. The devil tries to get you to think that you're not, that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, that you're not uh, truly a child of God. And the truth is, apart from God, apart from his saving grace, apart from Jesus' death on the cross, we aren't good enough. But when we accept that new nature from Jesus, we become children of God. One of the things that I realize is that temptations often come on the heels of something really amazing in our lives. Jesus just had this incredible baptism experience, and it was amazing. The Holy Spirit showed up and came on him like a dove. He heard God's voice speaking to him, and then right on the heels of that, he's tempted by Satan. I I can't tell you how many times in my early years of ministry when Maria and I first got married, um, I'd be invited to come and speak at a conference or go lead a camp for a week, and like two days before that, or one or two days after that, we would get in a raging fight. I mean, a blower. It was It was crazy over dumb stuff, like how to pack the dishwasher, where the cup should go, you know? What do you mean you forgot the toothpaste? You know, that kind of stuff. Finally, after about three or four years of the same pattern, I realized, you know what? Right before or right after God's about to do something big, temptation comes because Satan wants to sink me. If you're going to to do a time where you're stepping into ministry in an increased way, where you're taking a risk of faith, where you're doing something big with God, um, where you're following God's path, maybe you're getting ready to get married and you know that that is what God has called you to, be aware that the devil wants to take you out, to tempt you, to test you, either right before or right after, and be on your spiritual guard. Be on your spiritual guard. I noticed that the devil always tries to, to tempt God or to tempt me away from God by telling me I cannot trust God. I can't trust him to meet my physical needs, like food, or clothes, or shelter, or a car, or a job. He tempts me not to trust God to, uh, to fulfill God's plan in God's timing. One of the ways I saw this in my own life was when I came on staff here at the church about three years into it, Uh, I sensed very clearly from God that he wanted to move me into uh, the lead pastor role. I just sensed that from God. And Ron, our lead pastor, had also sensed that from God and was opening these doors. Um, And then we went through kind of a tumultuous time at the church. And there were some ups and downs. We don't have to get into it. It was less than ideal, less fun. But you know what? We're real people. We make up a real church, and there's real tension there. And some of our senior leadership folks who aren't around the church anymore, uh, one of them came to me one day privately. He brought me a Slurpee because he knows uh, that's the way to my heart, apparently. Um, Brought me a Slurpee, and he said to me, Kevin, 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 I think you're the right guy to lead the church. I think we need to get Ron to move over. I think you need to come in. And I, I was tempted tempted because God had clearly shown Ron and myself that I would be moving into the role that I'm currently in. And, and, and I, I, this guy wasn't the devil, but, but the devil was using this guy to get me to try to take something in the wrong timing that God didn't want me to have then. The temptation was to try to grab at it and grasp at it because God can't be trusted to fulfill his plan and his timing. So I went into the senior leadership team meeting and I called that guy on the carpet. Not because he's a bad guy but because the enemy was using him to cause division in our church. And then I waited two and a half more years, three more years, until God actually had his timing set for us to make this transition. And it was the right time, and it honored God, and it honored Ron, and I think it set our church up for success. But the enemy always tries to do that. He always tries to do that. If you're single in here today, here's what this looks like for you. 
you might want to get married someday. God might be calling you to get married someday. Listen, if you're in your, your late teens, your early 20s, your mid-20s, your early 30s, he might have a plan for you to get married someday, and you're feeling the tension that you want to get married today. And so you start grabbing at relationships, trying to do everything you can, using your body to, to entice the opposite sex, to bring them in. God has a plan. Allow God to do it in his timing. The devil took Jesus up on the mountain, up on Jerusalem, and he said, listen, I'll give you all of this, which God had already promised to Jesus. I'll give you all of this if you just bow down to me. And Jesus said to him, absolutely not. I want God's timing and God's plan more than I want this power. Here's another interpretation. I'm skipping to the very bottom because I think that's where we are at this point, but I don't know for sure. (laughs) One of the key ways to fight temptation is to memorize the Bible so that we can quote it and stand up against the temptations of the devil. Every time, every time the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with a Bible verse. And listen, uh, I love the beach, and I love a sunset as much as the next guy, and I actually really do connect with God through a sunset. But if the devil comes and tries to tempt you, and you say to him, you know what, I don't know any Bible verses, but did you see the sunset last night? I don't think it's going to work very well. Just think about it. Oh, yeah, 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 Satan, I hear that while you're telling me, but... Oh, did you see the waves at the beach? They were gorgeous. I don't think that's going to work. Jesus didn't say, hey, did you see the sunset from the temple? No, he quoted scripture. He quote, that was funny. You can laugh. He quoted scripture. Have we memorized God's word? When we memorize his word, it, it, it sinks into our heart and it changes the way that we think. Jesus had memorized the word of God. And you might think he's got a leg up because he is God. True. I'm not telling you to memorize the whole Bible, but you have some verses memorized. Some verses memorized. So this is what I would do. I would observe, I would interpret, and then when I got to the end of all my interpretation, I would apply. Here are just a few of the applications that you could use coming out of this Bible study. You could say this, when I go through a time of trial or testing or temptation, I will choose to draw close to God instead of running away from him. I will choose to dig into his word. I will choose to come to church and be with Christian community. I will choose to worship God even in the midst of temptation because our tendency is to run away from God when we're tempted. But God wants us to run to him. That could be an application for you. Another application could be, I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to ask God if I'm believing any lies from the devil right now. And just sit in prayer and just ask him, God, am I believing any lies? Am I bought into the lie of materialism that says if I can just get enough stuff, then I'll be satisfied? If I, am I bought into the lie of marriage that if she would just be the right person, then I'd be satisfied? Uh, am I bought into the lie of power that if I could just rise up the corporate ladder, then I'd be satisfied? And allow God to speak to you. Another one would be this. This is the natural one that I just mentioned. Uh, I'm going to memorize one Bible verse a week so that I have some tools to fight the temptations of the devil. I'm going to memorize just one, just one Bible verse a week. And you're thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You memorize Miley Cyrus songs all the time, okay? You know exactly what happened on 24 last week. I could ask you. You could quote Jack Bauer right now. He's a stud. You could do that. You can memorize a Bible. It's like, it's like some of them are like 10 words long, okay? But you start easy, okay? There's one where it says Jesus wept. Just start there. That's one. You got it. You memorized it. Done. Just memorize, just memorize something. Get his word into us. It changes our thinking. It changes our heart. It gives us tools to fight against Satan. Don't let Satan come against you and, and then say this to him. Did you see the sunset last week? It will not work. He will take us down. And churches, I've been praying for us. I, I, 
man, my heart, my heart is both so excited for what could be and so sad for what is because I watch us get taken down by the devil all the time in ways we don't have to. And I'm so excited because God's just been opening my eyes to some ways to lead our church heading into the fall, both in our Bible studies and our Sundays to help us to get to know God better so that we can live the life he called us to live. I'm so excited for you. I've been praying for you regularly, regularly. This type of Bible study, um, it, it takes a little bit of time. I'm not talking about reading a verse of the day. I'm talking about 20 or 30 minutes a day to get to know God more deeply. It is an investment in your time. I've been doing this every day for the last like four years without skipping a day. I just, every day I'm with God, I'm in his word because I need him to change my mind. It is the best investment I can make. The best for my marriage, the best for my career, the best for my parenting, the best for my friendship. It is the best investment I could make. And the payoff is huge. As we allow God to transform our minds, remember what Paul told us, and it's the verse at the bottom of the, of your scripture, of your, of your notes. He said, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. As we do this, we get to know God better. He changes the way we think, which will in fact change the way we act, and we will get to know God's plan, his will, his purposes. Now, if you want to talk about a life that is blessed, that's the life that's blessed. A life where I know God's plan for me and my family and our city and the world, and I'm part of it. What an incredible life that is, and that's the life that God offers us. So let's get to know Jesus together. And if you're here and you're brand new, and I mean brand new, maybe you went to church as a kid growing up, maybe you had an experience like me where after about five weeks in children's ministry, my parents came and picked me up, and the children's pastor said, you know what, your, your son Kevin and his twin brother Todd, they are really interesting, unique kids. They're so fun. Um, can you keep them in grown-up church with you from like now on? That's what they said. <laughs> yeah, code word, we were animals. That was the code word. And so you went in as a kid, and you checked out, and you never actually checked back in. And you're here today. And I believe you're here today for a reason, because God's been working upstream in your life, because he loves you, because he has a plan for you, because he wants you to know him and love him and have a relationship with him. So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. It's, it's nothing uh, magical. It's not a spell. It's simply a time for you to commit your life to Jesus today as an adult and start this journey with him. And if you're brand new, I want to give you the chance. Or maybe you, you were in church as a kid, but you never really fully engaged with God as an adult. I want to give you a chance to commit or recommit yourself to God, to have this faith awakening experience that God created you for. It will change your life. It will change your life. So join me. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, this is uh, just a, a simple way to get into your word. I'm so thankful, God, that you... You give us translations of the Bible, that you give us uh, ways to read the Bible and to know you. Uh, I'm so thankful that we don't live in an age where only a select few people have a copy of the Bible, or where only a select few people think that they have the right to explain and explore the Bible, God, but you give it to all of us in so many opportunities, applications, and versions, literally at any point in our day. Lord, thank you for that incredible freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that as we get to see you and know you, we know God the Father. Would you help us to know you more, Jesus? The more we know you, would you help us to fall in love with you? And as we fall in love with you, would you help us to follow you towards freedom? And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. You can repeat the simple prayer after me. It's just a prayer of commitment where you would commit your life to God. And while it is a simple prayer, it is a life-changing prayer event because God will come and fill you with his spirit and forgive you of your sins and and give you a new nature 
that's desiring to follow after him. So if you're ready to make that choice, you can say the simple prayer. Either whisper it where you're sitting or say it in your head and mean it with all of your might. You say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you left heaven and came to earth. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross. And when you did that, you paid the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that when you did that, you broke the power of sin in my life. And today I say yes. Yes, God, I want this life that you're offering to me. And yes, God, I want you. So would you come into my life today? Would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day with you, starting today, walking through this life, and heading into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.